0: Well, as I said earlier, the last two weeks, we've looked at two very different people that Jesus met with. And as he's met with two different people, he's responded to them in different ways. And hopefully that can show us that wherever we are, however we're feeling, wherever we stand, Jesus can meet with you. Now, in the book of John, we see that he does meet people up close and personal, Jesus here, but as well... We see that he does miracles. And one of the things we see this morning is this miracle. And Jesus didn't just do miracles for the sake of doing them. They weren't just tricks. But they are, as John says in the gospel here, they are signs. They are to show us something about who Jesus is and why he's coming. So we're looking at this miracle today and it's a sign to us. It's to help us to see who Jesus is. At the end of John's gospel, he says that these things are written so that you might believe and that you might have life in his name. So, what we're reading here this morning is given to us to give us life, to help us to see who Jesus is. So, this is the question I want us to look at as we come to this passage. Here is somebody who meets with Jesus, somebody who encounters Jesus. And we're going to see five things that show us if we've had an encounter with Jesus. Now, God meets with us in different ways. It doesn't, it's not a set where you must go through these things. But here are five things to look out for that show us a genuine encounter with Jesus, because that's what we believe that we can know and have uh, even today. So the first thing about uh, an encounter with Jesus is this. It's personal. It's personal. Jesus has uh, now gone into Jerusalem, we're told in verse 1, and he has come to this pool. And as he comes to this pool called um, Bethesda, there he sees lots of people. And all these people are uh, disabled. They are blind, they are lame, they are paralyzed. And the question might be, well, why are they all gathering there? Well, there was this tradition passed around that when there was this pool bubbled up, the first person to get to the pool would be healed. Now, we're not told why it bubbled up, if it was some kind of natural spring. We're not told any of that, but people had gone there. And so they came, and they were waiting, and they wanted to be the first into the pool after it bubbled up. This was the tradition that was passed around and Jesus went there and verse six tells us, when Jesus saw him lying there, he sees this man. Now out of all of the people there, Jesus goes and speaks to this one particular man. We don't know why it was him, but that's what he did. And when it comes to meeting with Jesus or getting to know Jesus or following him, becoming a Christian, it starts often with the message of Jesus and Jesus himself becoming personal. As seeing how real and how much it applies and how realistic it is for our lives. Now, Imagine for a moment that I said, oh, I've just seen Ed Sheeran. Ed Sheeran, he's a singer, pop singer. Um, and what do I mean when I've said that? It might mean that I've been to see him in the Principality Stadium with 75,000 other people. Oh, I've just seen Ed Sheeran. Or it might mean that he just came round to my house and he knocked on the door and he sat down and we had a nice cup of tea and he asked me some tips on playing the guitar. <laughs> you know, that it could be that. Which is it? I've just, I've just seen Ed Sheeran. Well, you see, it's if it's personal, it's not just me and 75,000 people, it's one-on-one. And when it comes to Jesus, it's the second when you become a Christian. It's not just, oh, I know about Jesus, or I've seen Jesus in the Bible. But what happens is, You see Jesus at work in your life. You see that he puts his finger on things, or he comes close, or he emphasises certain things. And we just know that it becomes personal. It could be that at a time like this, when we're looking at the Bible, when you're studying the Bible, when you're reading the Bible, that um, something stands out. And just something about Jesus just leaps out of the page. Something you'd never seen before. Maybe something um, something that you're struggling with in life and Jesus meets that need something that you'd never thought of before and Jesus speaks to you about it or points something out. There's a reality or a relevance to what Jesus says and what he's doing, and it becomes personal. Now, I wonder if that has ever happened to you. It might be that uh, even right now it's happening, That you think, oh, hang on, what, what's Jesus saying to me today? It might be uh, that um, it's happened gradually over time. You just think, slowly, you realise that Jesus has become somebody who you're really interested in really want to know more about. And he's not just somebody distant and personal, not just a historical figure, but somebody when you come to read the Bible, suddenly you see, this is important. This is real. I can't ignore this. Jesus makes it personal. He comes to him, this man. The emphasis there really is on him. So becoming a Christian and following Jesus, it starts you really by, by becoming personal. Now perhaps for you this morning, that has happened and you say, yes. And you can name the date. It was a few years ago, or five years ago, or 10 years ago, 20 years ago, whatever it might be. And you say, yeah, that's when it became real and personal. Or maybe you're not sure yet. Well, here's something to, uh, for me to encourage you and just, why didn't you ask? Say, Jesus, will you make it personal? Will you make it real for me? That is a prayer that Jesus would love to answer. And as we're thinking about Jesus being personal, you know, there's something lovely to remember here. Maybe you're wondering today, can I know God? Can I get to know him? Well, here's something great to think about, that God already knows you. He knows your life. He knows your situations. He knows where you've come from this morning, the, the burdens that you've brought with you here now, the things that keep you up at night. He, he knows that the things that you're excited about and brings you joy. He knows all of that. He knows all about you. God knows you. It is personal. And here's the most amazing thing, and he loves you. you sometimes we might think, well, if somebody really knew me, I knew everything about me what and all all my faults all my twisted motives all the wrong things i've said and done or haven't done and haven't said would they want to know anything about me but here's the great news jesus knows all about you and he still comes and he still wants to make it personal he still says come on follow me jesus knows you so it starts with it being personal i wonder if you've let jesus become personal to you maybe even this morning for the first time. So it's personal, that's the first thing. But second thing, an encounter with Jesus is often not just personal, but it is often uncomfortable, often uncomfortable. What do we know about this man? Well, we're told in verse 5 that he had been an invalid, he'd been paralysed for 38 years. We don't know if he is 38 years old and he'd been paralysed from birth. We don't know if he'd had an accident and he'd been 38 years since then. We're not told the details, but we know for 38 years he had been in this... Stay and in this situation that's a long time isn't it 38 years ago quick bit of maths 1986 i think 1986 what were you doing then 1986 were you even born some of you might not have been i don't know but what were you doing it was a long time ago to be in that state for that long this guy was desperate and it's surprising isn't it because here is a man who can't walk and he's struggling there he's by this pool and jesus asks him a question do you remember the question verse 5 he says this this man who'd been there 38 years, when he'd seen him lying there ever the sick, sorry, he said, Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? Now, that's a crazy question, isn't it? Here's a man who's standing by a pool which is said to heal people. And Jesus asks him, Do you want to be healed? Well, what's the answer? What's the man's answer? Well, the way the man answers shows us that hes it's not convincing, is it? Listen to what he says. He says, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. He said, do you want to be healed? Well, it's not really convincing, is it? Why would he not want to be healed? Well, some people have said, well, maybe he was doing quite well from begging and getting money from people who were coming to Jerusalem. It was a busy place, lots of people coming there for feasts who would want to give to people in need. And maybe he was quite comfortable in his life there. Maybe he just got used to it. But Jesus presses him and says, do you really want to be made well? Do you really want to be healed? Now today, Jesus comes to each one of us and says, do you want me to rescue you? I've come as the savior of the world. I've come to give you hope and help in a world which is full of chaos and full of madness. And I've come to give you light in the darkness. Do you want me to save you? I wonder what your response to Jesus is today. Because so often, Our answer isn't really clear, is it? Maybe you know lots about Jesus. Maybe you've heard a lot about him. You've understood a lot about about him over the years. You know that he says, follow me. That is, don't go on your own path now, but follow my path. You know that he says, I can transform your life. I can turn it upside down. I can bring light to darkness, life to death. I can give you hope and joy and forgiveness. I can offer all of this, but it is going to cost. Because instead of living for yourself now, you live for Jesus. Instead of living for what I want, we live for what he wants. It means saying no to self, yes to Jesus. And Jesus asks again, do you really want me to save you? Do you really want to be rescued? Maybe if you're honest there, you sit there, I think. Maybe I'm just more comfortable in the state I'm in. With all the pain I'm going through, with all the confusion, I'm not sure if I want to follow him we can end up with what's called Stockholm Syndrome. Have you heard of Stockholm Syndrome? The phrase comes from um, something that happened in Stockholm, surprisingly, in 1973. There was a bank that was taken hostage. And what happened is these hostages kind of had this positive relationship with their captors, with the people who were holding them hostage. And so they call it now uh, um, Stockholm Syndrome, when somebody is maybe captured or kidnapped, and then they end up getting on well with those who are actually doing them real harm. And we can be like that with our rebellion against God, with our sin. We end up thinking it's our friend. We end up getting comfortable with it in our lives, even though it is destroying us and destroying those all around us. You see, the reality with going against God's ways is it doesn't bring life. It brings death. It takes us away from the source of life and it binds us and chains us. And we end up unable to be a break free. Jesus asks us again this morning, do you want to be made well? The Bible teaches us that we're slaves. We're slaves to our own desires, we're slaves to sin. We we can't say no on our own. And we're stuck. But Jesus can set us free. And so this morning, can we see the danger we're in if we're saying, I, I don't want it, I want what I want. Maybe this morning you're a Christian, And God is using this passage and that question just to put his finger on something that needs to change in your life, something that you've been struggling with, something you're battling with, something that you're living with an attitude or something that you need to let go of. And Jesus saying, do you want me to make you well? Do you really want me to? Because he can. But are we ready to let go? Are we ready to say, Jesus, please, come and invade my life? Because look over this man's response. It's interesting, isn't it? Because he says... um, Do you want to be made well? Here's the son of God standing before him. And he says, oh, could you help me to the pool? That's what I need. I need somebody to help me to get to that pool. That's all the man wants is that help. Here, you know, we're going to see in a moment, Jesus can do so much more than help somebody to the pool. But that man saw the answer to my problems is that pool. And I need to get there. You know, often we can treat Jesus the same as that, can't we? Maybe there's something you want. Uh, you know, something that you you kind of think, this will solve all my problems. Like, just have that, whatever it might be, and it's going to be different for every one of us in here. But we're, we've all got those things that we think, if, that would, if I had that, if that was sorted, if that was taken away, if this was different, that would be the answer. And so what we end up doing is this. We come to Jesus, and we see him as a means for us to get what we want. So if I go to church, if I say my prayers, if I do this and do that, then... Jesus will give me what I want. So it's kind of like a slot machine. We put the money in, as it were, and Jesus will just give us. So we come to Jesus and we say, I'm going to use you. We don't say it like that, but that's what we end up doing. And we can be like this man where Jesus comes and says, do you want to be made well? And he says, oh, if you could get me to the pool. And Jesus comes to us and says, look, there's something that you think will complete your life. Something that you think will make it all right. And Jesus says, I'm better than that. That thing that you want, you know in the past, you've had things you thought would answer all your problems, and they haven't. But Jesus says, I'm the true answer that you're looking for. Don't use me as a means to the end. I am the end. I'm the one you're after. I'm the one who can satisfy the longings of your heart. Jesus says, come to me. I'm not going to help you to get to that place. I'm I'm the answer. I'm the one who can help. See, this man wanted the pool, and Jesus said, in effect, but I am the pool. (laughs) I'm better than the pool. What is it that you think today will save you? What is your savior? What is the thing that you think is going to solve all of your problems? Is it a person? Is it a situation? Jesus wants to remind us today, he's better. And you see, to see that about ourselves, it's uncomfortable, isn't it? To see that actually we can be comfortable in our own rebellion against God, comfortable using Jesus to try and get what we want from, Him. it's not nice to see. But often an encounter with Jesus will expose those kind of motives in our hearts and in our lives. So what what does it mean to have an encounter with Jesus? It's personal. It's often uncomfortable. The third thing is this. It is supernatural. It is supernatural. Had this pool ever healed anyone? I don't know if you've thought about that. Has it ever healed anyone? We don't know the answer to that. We just don't. But Jesus does something amazing here, doesn't he? He speaks to this man. He says, um, verse 8, Get up take up your bed and walk. Get up, take up your bed and work, walk, walk. And then, all of a sudden, after 38 years of his legs not working, suddenly they spring into action. And without Jesus kind of breaking a sweat, he just speaks and this man is fixed. You know, next time you're unwell, try it. You know, if you, maybe you're struggling with something today, just try it. It doesn't work, does it? We just Our words do not have that impact as much as we love them to. But Jesus, when he speaks, something amazing happens, something supernatural. He fixes what is broken. And remember, John is giving us this because it's a sign. And one of the signs we'll look at in a moment is the sign of Jesus doing this on the Sabbath and what that means. But this is a sign that Jesus has come to do something which has helped us in a way that is supernatural. Spiritually, we're all like this man. We're all unable spiritually to... Um, to save ourselves. We can't do it. We're helpless. Romans 3 says, no one is good, not one. We're all in the same boat. Every single human being. And none of us naturally know the right way to turn. We, we don't know about seeking God, or if we do, it's not the God uh, that the Bible tells us. It's our own, the God of our own making. And so we end up thinking, well, uh, I want to follow God, but we, deep down, we don't want to trust him because we're not sure if he's good. So unless God works in our heart, unless God starts to stir our hearts, we won't want to follow him. So John 6, uh, Jesus says this, no man can come to me unless the Father draws him. So we don't even want to go to God unless God does a work in us first. We're so helpless. So this morning, here's an encouragement. If there is any desire in you to get to know God, any desire in you to want to know Jesus or follow him, that is a sign that is showing us that god has done something in you he is doing something in you that is not natural uh, he is bringing life to what is dead he is bringing interest to where there was no interest he's bringing maybe conviction of things in our life that wasn't there before he takes our paralyzed spiritual lives as it were and he speaks and when god speaks there's power when god speaks He can do things which, in our minds, should take years, he can do in a moment. Because with his word, there is power. Now, maybe if you're a Christian here this morning, there's somebody you're you're praying for, you'd love for them to trust in Jesus, but you think, oh, they never will. There's no chance. Think of the person least likely in your life to follow and trust in Jesus. Just bring that person to mind now. Think of that, there's no way. But you see, if Jesus speaks, he is, speaks with power. God can do in a moment what uh, we think can take years. It's the voice that threw stars into space. The voice that keeps the, the planet sustained and where they are. God can do it. Keep praying for that person. Don't give up. Keep praying. I'm praying that God would work in power. So what does an encounter with Jesus look like? Well, we're seeing it. it is personal. It becomes real to us. It's uncomfortable because we see things about ourselves that we're not uh, happy with. It's supernatural because God does that work in us. The fourth thing is this. There's, there's five things, but the fourth is this. It's free. It's free. We might think, again, why this man out of all of them? If this pool is surrounded by people who are struggling, why did Jesus choose him? Well, again, we don't know. But one thing we do know is that this guy was not um, you know, the, the, the best behaved out of them all. You know, actually, we see that he goes about doing things in a bit of a way that we might think, what is he doing? See, when we look at the rest of the account, he's healed, and then the Jewish leaders uh, see him carrying his mat. And they say, You can't carry your mat on a Sabbath. We'll get to that in a moment. Um, and he said, Why are you carrying this? He we said, Well, because I've been healed. He said, Well, who healed you? And he doesn't know who healed him. Then he finds out, and what does he do? He goes and grasps Jesus up, really, doesn't he? He goes and says, Oh, By the way, the reason I was carrying the mat is because Jesus healed me. And so we see then, as we read on, and he said, Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple of his 14 and said, See you well, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. Again, we don't know what Jesus is getting at exactly there. Maybe something of his past life and how he lived caused his accident. He said, look, don't get into the same mess again. We don't know. But what he is showing us is that this man was not, um, you know, very well behaved. And then Jesus said, right, there's somebody who's showing potential, I'll go and heal him. But he might have been one of the worst. But Jesus still went and saved and rescued him. Now, it's good news this morning that Jesus doesn't work um, and, and save based on how much potential we show. He doesn't come and say, right, who, who's looking better than other people? No. The Bible says God saves out of grace, out of nothing we've done. So we might feel like total failures. And Jesus says, yes, and I can work and I can save. you. In fact, he gives grace to the humble and opposes the proud, the Bible says. So if today we feel like oh, there's nothing I can do, nothing I can offer, then that is exactly where Jesus can start working in our lives. Here is a wonderful example again of God's free grace. How are we saved? How will somebody have an encounter with Jesus? It is not by earning it. It is not by trying our best to be good enough. Jesus says out of sheer kindness and grace and love from him. So if you're a Christian this morning, you see that this humbles us to the core, isn't it? I've done nothing to deserve being saved or being a Christian. It's all of him. It humbles us, but also makes us confident Because, well, if I haven't done anything to make him love me, there's nothing I can do to make him stop loving me. It was never based on my works anyway. You are safe and you're secure because it's all down to him. It is free. So an encounter with Jesus is is personal. It's uncomfortable. It's supernatural. It's free. Uh, And the last thing is this. There's peace. It brings peace. So I want this just to finish by looking at the, the controversy of this passage. Because here is a man who is healed and Jesus says, take up your mat and walk. He picks up his mat and the religious people see this and they don't go, they don't think, wow, wonderful. This is an amazing miracle. They say, why is that man carrying a mat? How how dare he? It is the Sabbath. Now remember the Sabbath was the day when Jewish people on the Saturday where they were supposed to rest. And so to kind of spell out what it meant to rest, they drew up a list of extra rules that don't come in the Bible Uh, that would help them to rest it's amazing isn't it only we could uh, humans could take something that God gives us good he says look I want you to rest just don't work on a day and then they've said right what does that mean let's write it all out and here's things you can and can't do they had a list of 39 categories um to make sure they'd rest one of them was you weren't allowed to look in the mirror so maybe that rules some of us out I'm not gonna look at anyone and say no maybe not you but you know don't look in the mirror You weren't allowed to light a candle on the Sabbath, things like that, and carrying things, that was definitely not allowed. So, here was a man who was carrying his mat, and they came to Jesus and said, look, you told this man to carry something on the Sabbath. How dare you? Look at what they say. He told the Jews, verse 15, who had healed him, and this is why the Jews were persecuting, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. And Jesus answered him, my father is working until now, and I am working. What is Jesus' answer to them? They can't believe that he would uh, do this on the Sabbath. And they say, "Look, there's only only God can work on the Sabbath." And Jesus says, "Yeah, that's why I'm working." And then they realize he is making himself equal with God. See, God can't rest for a day. If he does, the whole world will um, kind of you know nothing would be sustained. He sustains everything as it is. So he is always working. And Jesus says, "Yeah, as my Father is always working." So am I. So Jesus is confronting him once again, confronting these people once again with his claims that I'm equal with God. It's a massive thing. And that's why they say um, they wanted him to uh, to be killed because he was they knew exactly what he was getting at. Often people say, Oh, Jesus didn't claim to be God. But here again we see he is saying the words, and people after he said them say we need to kill him because he's blaspheming, he's making himself equal with God. Jesus says, Look, if you've ever seen me. You've seen the Father. Now, have you made your mind about Jesus? Again, he he doesn't he backs us into a corner and says, you can't just sit on the fence with me. Either I am God or I am somebody to be totally ignored. What are you going to do with him? But what is the Sabbath law all about? Well, there's two words for us to just think of as we close here. And it's about Sabbath. It is about salvation and about creation. That's why God gave the Sabbath law. So, the day that God gives to his people, he gave them after they were brought out of slavery. So, they were slaves in Egypt, being worked um, all the hours of the day, every day of the week. And he brings them out, he saves them from that, and he says, Now, I am not like your old masters. I want you to rest. Have a day of rest. And so, in um, Deuteronomy uh, 5, it says this You shall remember that you were on, on the Sabbath day, remember you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So have a day of rest and just remember what I've done for you. Remember the safe, and rest now. Sabbath is saying this. Um, God says, I've rescued you. Now rest in my salvation. That's what the Sabbath is telling us. Why? Because it's not about striving for salvation anymore. You don't have to set yourself free. I have set you free. It is free gift, and you haven't earned it. And so Jesus, when he's saying saying to come to him and rest, he is saying, look, I'm what the Sabbath was pointing forward to. Now, when you are saved, when you trust in me, you can rest. You don't have to strive and work hard to try and earn your salvation. It is done. Religion says strive, keep going, work harder. The gospel of Jesus says. Rest. It's done. In other Gospels, we see Jesus saying this, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. And what he's saying is, he is the one the Sabbath is all about. It's about salvation. Remember what Jesus has done. Rest in it. But also, it's about creation. What do I mean by that? Well, it points back to the beginning of the Bible, where God created the world in six days, and then God at the end, he says, um, on day seven, he rests. Now, God doesn't rest because he's tired. He's omnipotent. He's got all power. He, he, he doesn't get tired, but he rests because the work is done. He looks at it and he said, it is good. There is peace. There is This is complete. And so he rested on the Sabbath and he wanted everybody else to rest as well to remember that what God had done was good. And that one day, there will be a day of total rest again. That's what it's pointing forward to. So it's pointing forward to Jesus who says, rest in me as well as pointing out to a day where Jesus would fix all things and there would be total rest forevermore. There will be a day when the brokenness would be fixed and Jesus is saying, I'm the one who can bring that rest. I'm the Sabbath. So he says, when you trust in me, you don't have to strive anymore for trying to earn your place, but also to remember one day I will come back and fix all, all broken people. All sickness will be gone. All sadness, all any kind of brokenness will be taken away. So Jesus is saying, look, it's not about rules and nitpicking. I am the Sabbath. Rest in me. Now today, as we finish, Jesus is offering you that today. He's offering you deep, spiritual rest. Isn't that something we long for? In a world where our hearts and our minds are just all over the place, they've been pulled everywhere, Jesus says, come to me and rest. Maybe you're striving just to make yourself, just to kind of work out who you are, just to try and work and show people how good you are, and you're striving and striving. I want to be a better parent. I want to be a better grandparent. I want to be a better um, husband. I want to be a better wife. I want to be a better citizen. I want to be a better friend. I want to be a better. And you're striving and striving and striving. And Jesus says, "Come to me, and rest. The striving is over. You're safe in me. And following Him, trusting in Him, we get to know and we get to enjoy a rest that is deeper than anything in this world can offer. Following Jesus is liberating, and he brings us rest. Today, Jesus reminds us and says, come to me and rest in what I've done for you. Remember what he said on the cross, his last words? It is finished. He's done it. Are you striving today where you should be resting? Enter his Sabbath. That's what he's calling us to do. And also it's reminding us that one day he will fix all things. Maybe today you think, I can't keep going in a world that is so broken. I can't keep going in it with all the struggles I'm facing. I can't. But the Bible gives us a happy ever after. That Jesus will come back and that he is going to fix it. And so the struggles we go through now are not forever. He promises to fix it one day and and he he says to you, come to me and know rest and peace. So here is an encounter with Jesus. What does he offer us? Well, he makes it personal. Have you had that personal encounter with Jesus? He makes it uncomfortable at times because we see things about ourselves that we'd rather not see. It is supernatural because he works in our hearts. It is free. And then there is wonderful peace and rest when we come to him. Maybe today you see that some of those he's, he's doing, in you. be encouraged that Jesus is working. He is alive. And if not, Why not pray, Jesus, would you make this real for me today? Let's pray before we sing our last uh, song together. Father, we thank you for this encounter that we see in John's Gospel, where we see this man uh, meeting with you. But Lord, we pray that this wouldn't just be something that we read about, but that every one of us in here would encounter the living Jesus today. Please help us to leave here knowing that we've put our trust in you, knowing that we are living for you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.